I'm Candy Easley, and I'm the executive pastor here at Bethany, which means that I get to be here at Green Lake many, many Sundays, but I'm also out um, supporting and encouraging and planning strategically for all of Bethany and our other five locations. So it's a special joy to get to be your teacher this morning as we are stepping into week two of a series in the book of Ephesians. And as Nancy just read, what we are seeing in this chapter right here, right now in verses 1 to 10, is this transformation from one kind of pathway that we are all naturally on to this amazing pathway that God is calling us into. So we're going to dive into that today with three points. They're in your bulletin. We were dead, we're made alive, And we're a masterpiece. So we're going to find our way through each of those and kind of what the missteps are that we could make with misunderstanding each of those. So let's join our hearts in prayer and we'll get started. Gracious God, I thank you that you have given us your word, that you have given us this day uh, to be here in your presence. Lord, I thank you that you called each one of us here that whether we're, we're watching online or whether we're sitting here in the pews, um, Lord, you desire to speak to us. And so could you please um, open our hearts and our minds and use the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts um, to bring you glory and to help us to understand your truth and walk in your ways. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as we sort of turn the season to something that's approaching summer and sunny days, I was reminded of this idea of that we are kind of destined to walk in our own way. And Ephesians calls us the, the, path, the, the pathway of, of death, the pathway of the world, that the spirit of the world takes over. And I was reminded of this time when I was young, I think I was about eight, and our extended family, which meant me, my sister, my mom, dad, my aunt and uncle, and my grandma, went on a trip from Northern California to Southern California. We were gonna go to Disneyland. And the night before going to Disneyland, it was very, very warm, and so we were at a small, I think it was like a Howard Johnson's that had a swimming pool, and I was a kind of adventuresome, slightly chubby, elementary school student. And I saw that my sister, who was a lot younger than I am, had an enviable inner tube, like one of those blow-up, brightly colored inner tubes that is supposed to help small children who don't swim kind of stay afloat. And she was using the inner tube there in the uh, shallow end, but I was a little large for the inner tube, and I already knew how to swim, so I was basically disallowed from using the inner tube. Like, that's for your sister, just let her enjoy it. I think it might have had a little swan head or something like that. And uh, eventually, she got out of the pool and left the little inner tube floating there in the water. And I thought to myself, that looks like a really fun target for diving practice. So I got, I think, on my knee, because I wasn't ready to dive from standing. I got on my knee, and I thrust myself into the small inner tube. Can you tell what's going to happen? I got stuck upside down in the inner tube. There it was, just enough to hold my upper body uh, above the water while my head and shoulders were under the water. So evidently, there at the side of the pool, 
my parents and my aunt and uncle are chatting, and my uncle says to my dad, hey, Kendi's upside down in the water. And my dad said, yeah, she's, she's trying to do a handstand. And my uncle said, yeah, I don't think so. She's kind of in the deep end, and her legs are flailing. And my dad looked again, and you know, so he said, I, I think you're right. And he dove in the pool, rescued me, pulled me up out of the water. I was choking. I had been having the sense of, like, I'm going to die here upside down in this inner tube. It wasn't worth it, but oh well. My dad pulled me out. I didn't quite need CPR, but it was a little bit that, like, hit you on the back. And there were some words like, Kendi, what were you thinking? You know, you're a lot bigger than your sister. Like, yes, I've got that now. The idea was that I was kind of going my own way. I was, I was basically told this inner tube's not for you, but I wanted to try it myself. And I think that's our human nature. We kind of want to go our own way. We want to do it ourselves. We, we resist being told what direction to go. I was thinking about this idea that the way of sin is a way of getting stuck. And, and we can't get ourselves out of it. We sort of continue in this pathway. And no matter how we flail around, we can't write ourselves up. And in this scripture, we see that God, the kind of this key hinge verse that we'll get to, but God, who's rich in mercy, he essentially dives in to the human condition in the person of Jesus, and he writes us. So I want to think about this idea that we are dead. We're, we're dead in our transgressions. We're dead in the way of sin. There's a, uh, the Catholic Church used to have the seven deadly sins. They're like sloth, envy, uh, pride. We, we won't go in these ways and we sort of nurture them. So if we think of this stuckness, um, I was thinking that there are some visuals that might help us to show how we get stuck. Perhaps you're familiar with the story of Winnie the Pooh. Yes, you might remember. He was walking along and he found Rabbit's hole and he found Rabbit at home and he went in and said, Rabbit, do you have any honey and any snacks? And Rabbit actually offers him multiple things, but Pooh just sticks with the honey. He eats so much honey that when it's time to leave, let's look at what happened. He gets himself completely stuck trying to go out of the rabbit hole. And he's aggravated. I picture his legs flailing on the other side. And what does Rabbit try to do? Rabbit says, hmm, you're stuck in my doorway, and so I'm going to make the best of this situation. I'm going to kind of draw a little art uh, on, the, on the derriere there, and I'm going to make, he calls it a towel rack. To me, it kind of looks like a mantle shelf and, and decorate it. Uh, on the other side, Pooh's friends come along and say, oh, you're stuck? Well, let's make the best of it. Uh, Kanga and Rue bring him some flowers and just kind of try to make the best of the situation. I wonder if that's part of our human condition. We don't acknowledge our stuckness. We sort of either cover it up or try to make the best of it. Later, along come a whole group of friends and they try to pull him out and eventually, after about a week of not eating in the story, uh, Pooh gets thin enough that they successfully pull him out of the hole. But the situation with us is, we cannot do this on our own. We can get ourselves stuck, but we can't free ourselves. 
Recently, I was on a hike, and I was with a couple of guys who uh, were pretty confident that they knew where we were going. And we got to the trailhead and uh, eventually asked a couple people, like, is this the right trailhead? Yes, we were told this is the right trailhead. And we started out on our way on our hike, and it didn't feel like it was going up as we had expected. You know, what we thought we were doing was a pretty steep ascent, and we're kind of walking along in the woods, meandering in the woods. And so they said, well, you know, let's just make it a timed hike instead of a destination hike. We'll just meander for about an hour, hour and a half, and then we'll meander back, and that will be our three-hour hike. That didn't feel very satisfying to me especially when, as we meandered, we came to the picnic area that we had already passed by. I didn't want to meander in a circle in the picnic area right next to the parking lot for an hour and a half. You know, there were beautiful hikes. We'd gone out I-90 just less than an hour from here. We were at Tiger Mountain. It's a mountain. I wanted to go up the mountain. So we ended up asking multiple people uh, for directions, and trying to get a sense of what it would be like to go the right direction. That's what God is inviting us to today. I don't know where you are. I don't know what kind of stuckness you're in. I don't know if you feel like you're maybe going in circles. You have good intentions, but, but you're stuck in the same pathway. Maybe you're somebody who, like Pooh, can't resist overdoing things. Maybe you're somebody like me who can't resist an adventure even when you're told it's not the right one for you. In what way are you today living by the wisdom of this world? Because that's the misstep of this first truth. The misstep is to think that we've we've got it, that we can handle it to convince ourselves that there really isn't a problem and we don't actually need a savior. We don't need help from the outside. We just need to try harder or try less hard and work less. We need to eat more or eat less or exercise more or exercise less or speak up more or hold our tongue more. We need more relationships or maybe fewer relationships. We need a different job or a different approach to dating or a different spouse, house, or form of social media. We think that if we just keep trying, we'll find our own way. The news is this. We need the Savior. We've got a cross hanging here in our sanctuary. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave us a savior. He gave us somebody who isn't just a good idea, not just a new truth, but Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I am the pathway in which you are to go. Come to me, all of you. Whatever your labor is, whatever your burden is, come to me and walk with me and I'm going to change you from the inside out. God gives us this new identity. And this new identity is one of life. We're no longer dead, we're alive. 
I'm an adoptive mom, and on the night when our son, who's our second child, was born, the hospital was so gracious, they gave me a hospital room, as well as the birth mom who had a hospital room. And in between our two rooms was kind of this giant um, nursery, essentially, for the babies. So the birth moms and families from the one side could see their kids, and the birth moms and families from the other side could see their kids. And my son's birth mom um, had determined that she just didn't even want to see him. It was going to be too hard. So she delivered him, and he was like swept away into this interior nursery. And my husband and I got a call that said, your baby is ready for you to come. And we'd been waiting the delivery as those of you who have delivered, is unpredictable. It was the middle of the night. So we walked from our side. We couldn't see through to the other side. We walked from our side into this room that had been set up for us to meet our child. And I remember just standing there, looking at him, and it was like, oh my gosh, there's a baby. And there was a chaplain there, and the chaplain said, this is your son. Pick him up. And I almost couldn't get my arms out there because it seemed unreal to me that just one moment before, I hadn't had a son. And and this moment, I crossed into this room, and now there's a baby that God, through the chaplain, is saying, this is your son, pick him up. I had a new identity. I had become the mother of this baby whose name I hadn't even determined yet. And and I picked him up. I'm still his mom, but you know what? In that moment, I didn't know what the journey was going to be. I I was just saying, yes, okay, I'll step into this new identity. I'll receive this gift that God is giving me, a gift I don't deserve. That's how it is with Christ. God has given us a pathway. We don't earn it. And this is one of our missteps that we think we can make our way, but this is the correction. God himself makes us alive in Christ. The scripture says, it is by grace you have been saved. And note that all of these are past tense. It's a completed action in Greek. You have been saved. You're not about to be saved. You're not saving yourself. You're not in the process of being saved. There is a moment when, when Christ is invited into your heart, when you say yes, when you realize, I've been saved. And it's God's intention that we would all have this awareness that, that we're saved for a new purpose. We have been raised up with Christ, the scripture says. What does that mean? It means that we're no longer just part of this, this looping pathway of the world. We're part of something bigger and different. We've been already raised up, and in fact, it says, seated with Christ. It's as if we're here in the everyday and we're there at the same time. We're part of what God is doing on earth, what the heavenly realms have come down to to invite us into this amazing journey, this amazing identity of following Christ. So here is this hinge. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Humanity had turned away and humanity keeps turning away from God. 
And in so doing, we're deserving of death. But God, those are two words that make a huge difference. God, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we're dead in transgressions. Jesus Christ says, I've not, I have not only, I've come to save sinners like you and me, but he shows us the way. He is the way. There's nothing we have ever done or ever will do that could cause us to be deserving. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of the work of God, he who knew no sin, who took on sin, because of that, we have a different identity. Did Jesus actually participate in greed, lust, pride, gluttony? I believe it means he took on our sin, the sins of the world, not by his own disobedience, but by affiliating with us. He shouldered our stuckness, if you will. He shouldered our failures. He shouldered our bent toward self-aggrandizement or self-condemnation. God can and does free us to a new identity. So how do we receive this new identity? We resist this misstep number two, to keep trying to save ourselves. We've been brought into this other realm and yet we keep returning to our own ways. When we run a red light or get, and get a ticket and pay for it, the police don't keep coming after us, at least I hope not. You have to have done a lot of things like to get a warrant out there where they keep coming after you. The ticket when paid, it's over. The debt is paid. That's how God treats us. The debt has already been paid. You don't have to keep convincing God that you're worthy. You're not. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I live, yet no longer I, but Christ lives in me. Paul says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. There is this dynamic throughout the New Testament of the old self and the new self. We, we put away the old self because the new has come. You are changed on the inside. It's a radical change, and yet it doesn't necessarily show. It can feel as though, yes, okay, I, I want to, to receive Christ. I want to be Christ's person. I want to be that follower of Jesus. But what does it actually look like? I know, I've known many people who prayed a prayer saying, yes, Jesus, come into my life, and fully expected to wake up the next morning and, and have kind of a different entire outlook on life. That part we have to develop. We have to walk into it. It doesn't happen in an instant. We're saved in an instant, but we have to live out, work out that salvation. But I still have faults, yes. But he who knew no sin became sin for you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that, and Colossians 1.21 says, he now presents you holy and without blemish and free from accusation. You were raised to new life. You were seated with Christ. You are already there. There's a place card already waiting for you at God's table. 
This isn't about whether you come to church frequently or even on Memorial Day weekend. It's not about whether you're generous with your time or your money or whether you're kind to your coworkers or whether you're honest or whether you're a cheater, whether you're addicted to love or money. This is about whether or not you're living in bondage or have authority in the name of Jesus. Richard Dahlstrom, our senior pastor, has developed this uh, handout. It's called Found, Who I Am in Christ. And if you would like to receive this via text, you can text the keyword found to 64600 coming up on the screen. You can also get a hard copy of it. Um, It's a one-page piece, and there are different categories of things where it talks about this developing this new identity. And... I would encourage you to engage with this, to to kind of um, foster this new identity, to take on these ideas. It, It starts with, I am God's. I belong to God. I'm God's child, God's beloved, God's co laborer, God's ambassador. And then it goes to, I have been, I've been redeemed. I've been set free, I've been adopted, I've been given the Holy Spirit. There's lists of scriptures to help us get this new uh, mindset. And then I am complete, I'm not condemned. I'm seated in the heavenly places. I, you, you can be light in darkness. You can be secure in Christ. You can be sheltered. You can be a shelter. And then I have been, you have been, justified through faith. Romans 5, 2 says we have peace with God. We've gained access to God's grace. So then we come to truth number three. If it is the case that we were dead and then we've become alive through the person of Jesus Christ, then truth truth number three is we are God's workmanship. And this word in Greek can be translated, it it is poeme. It's like the word that we get the word poem from. You are God's poem to the world. You are God's masterpiece. We are God's handiwork. We've been created in Christ Jesus in a new way and for a new purpose to carry out the good works that God prepared in advance that we would do. This isn't about making a name for ourselves. In Christ, we've been given that name that is above every name. It's not about making a difference the way we necessarily have in mind, but living differently wherever we go. It's not about making an image for ourselves because we already bear the image of our creator. Jazz musician John Coltrane put his offering into words this way when he dedicated an album. He said, this album is an offering to God, an attempt to say, thank you, God, through my work, as I do in my heart and with my tongue. And Coltrane offered this prayer. May God help and strengthen all men in every good endeavor. He began to play music for the music's sake, for the listener's sake, for God's sake. You are the only one who can be the masterpiece that God created you to be. Nobody else can walk in your shoes. 
Nobody else is going to encounter the people that you see today or tomorrow. Nobody else has the particular gift mix or personality mix that you have. I was thinking about this idea of being a masterpiece. And I looked up um, Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, the idea of masterpiece came to mind when I thought of the Mona Lisa. There's the Mona Lisa. If you've ever seen it or read about it, it's smaller than this lectern. It's about 20 by 30 inches. And yet there's a whole line at one of the biggest museums in the world at the Louvre just to get in to see this masterpiece. What is it about that masterpiece? Did da Vinci set out to make the Mona Lisa? He didn't. In fact, I looked up, I have it here somewhere. Um, he wrote, let's see, oh yeah, I hooked it right into this one. He wrote a, a one-page application for a job to the, um, the leader of Milan um, back in the 1400s. And he um, made claims when he was about 20 about the things that he could do. So this is Leonardo, and his last name isn't da Vinci. That's really where he was from. We always think of it as like Leonardo da Vinci, as that was one name. His name was Leonardo. He's just a 20-something-year-old. But he says this, I can build bridges. I can remove water from moats. I can build a portable cannon. Also, I have means of arriving at a designated spot through mines and secret winding passages constructed completely without noise. He's making the case that he can be an asset in battle. I will make covered vehicles safe and unassailable, and the infantry will be able to follow them unharmed. Or if a sea battle is occasioned, I have examples of instruments suitable for attack or defense which will resist fire. And in the time of peace, I can give satisfaction in the field of architecture, in construction of both public and private buildings, and in conducting water from one place to another. If you were reading this, wouldn't you be thinking, like, what is this guy, a miracle worker? No, it is said that he was actually a universal genius. But at the end of his letter, he says this. Also, I can execute in marble, bronze, and clay, likewise in painting. That's Leonardo da Vinci. By the way, after an entire letter of things that I can do, I'm pretty good at painting. If any of the above-mentioned things seem impossible or impractical to anyone, he says, I am most readily disposed to demonstrate them at whatsoever a place that pleases your excellency, to whom I commend myself with all possible humility. <laughs> he got the job. And he was eventually commissioned to create the masterpiece of The Last Supper, which is the most reproduced painting of all time. He's also created the Vitruvian Man and Mona Lisa. He's been called the father of architecture, credited with inventing the parachute, the tank, the helicopter, conceptualizing solar power, and the adding machine. But maybe you don't feel like Leonardo da Vinci. Maybe you feel like the masterpiece of your life is a little bit small. A. A. Milne, who wrote Winnie the Pooh, didn't set out to write a famous children's book or even a children's book at all. He was a veteran of World War I. And when he returned from war, he said, children's stories simply must be written, not for the children, but for the author. 
And in so doing, he rekindled the imagination of millions of people, bringing comfort and humor and vulnerability through the stuffed animals coming to life that he described in his books. So misstep number three is not recognizing that you are a masterpiece. To believe that you are a mistake, not a masterpiece. To believe that the gifts you've been given don't compare. The artist Seurat in the late 1800s created a painting called Le, Le Grand Jatte, and it kind of reminds me of uh, watching Green Lake on a Sunday. If we bring that picture up, there's, there are people doing all kinds of things, from walking their dogs or their monkey, haven't seen one of those at Green Lake, but maybe. Uh, you see the crew way out there, their sailboats. This entire painting was created not with brush strokes, but with single points of color. It took him about two years, and it is gigantic. I've never seen it in person, it's in Chicago. I think it's bigger maybe than our screen or similar to our screen in real life. They say there are three to four million dots of color in this painting. It's a masterpiece. Just like our lives, moment by moment, the masterpiece that God is creating Frederick Buechner says this, the sacred moments, the moments of miracle are often the everyday moments, the moments which if we do not look more than our eyes or listen with more than our ears, reveal only a gardener or stranger coming down the road behind us, a meal like any meal. But if we look with our hearts, if we listen with all our being and imagination, we may see Jesus himself. So the misstep is to not notice that God can work a masterpiece out of our everyday lives. Maybe some of you watched uh, the royal wedding or heard about uh, little moments that happened during that royal wedding. There was a bishop, an Episcopal bishop, uh, Michael Curry, an African-American who preached the gospel in African-American style because the bride is African-American, half. And so the entire service had, had kind of this vibe. He quoted Martin Luther King saying that the new life can redeem the world. This new life in Christ can create a new world. For God didn't design each of us only to be a masterpiece on our own. He designed us together, millions and millions over time to make a difference in the world to be salt and light, to sparkle and shine, to be the very presence of Christ in the world. For we were dead in our transgression, but God, who is rich and mercy, made us alive in Christ, that we could walk in the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, what's that for you? I just invite you to ponder that as we go through the rest of our service, that maybe it's something you want to write up in the books. What way is God inviting you to be made alive? What stuckness is it time to let go of? How can you receive 
this person of Jesus and walk in his ways. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Great God, I thank you that you didn't leave us alone walking in our own way, but you lifted us up. You made us more than we could ever be on our own. You called us by your very name. Lord God, I ask that you would give us ears to hear uh, your spirit at work. We ask that you give us hearts to respond. Lord, we thank you that you loved us, that you liberated us, and you lifted us up. And so in whatever ways that might mean this week, um, with those that we live with, with those that we work with, with those that we even cross paths with on the street, Lord, uh, is it making eye contact? Is it just having a heart that says, you too are a masterpiece created by God? Is it having the compassion um, for ourselves or for others to believe that, God, you are using the tools of mercy and grace, not, not competition or condemnation? Lord, if it's fear that motivates us toward being generous with our time or with our money, can we please learn to set that aside? Can you so shape us that the way that we live out these good works is not in order to gain your good pleasure, but to reveal who you are. So Lord, I pray that you would draw us close to yourself, that we would receive this new identity in Christ, that just as that moment when I I picked up uh, my new little baby, Lord, may we receive this new life, that it is a new beginning, that your mercies are new every morning. And God, for those who are in our midst, who are grieving, who are longing to understand something that's far more difficult than they can bear on their own, Lord, I pray that you would unite us with one another, that we would bear one another's burdens, and so become the people of God. So God, we trust ourselves uh, to your care. We thank you for this new identity that that doesn't depend on us, that there's no reason to boast and no reason to claim our own goodness, but only to receive who you are. So come, Lord Jesus, make your spirit known in our midst and in our hearts. Amen.